Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to this edition of The Right Stuff. I am the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition. Today we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, A.K. Preston. We are talking about his new release called The Tombs of Elysium, and it's available on Amazon.com. But later on in the show, I'm going to tell you how you can get this wonderful book for free. And I know we all love the sound of free, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our supporters for their support. If you want to find out how you can help this ministry, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, A.K. Preston. A.K., how are you doing today? Doing very well, Parker. Glad to be here. And I am so glad that you took time out of your schedule to be here with me. As you already know, I enjoy the Tombs of Elysium. I can't wait to dig into it. But before I do that, I want people to know more about you. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I consider myself more or less ordinary. I, uh, live in, I've lived in Rock Rapids, Iowa for the past three years. Um, I work local sow farm where I'm basically a midwife for the female pigs. So that's my day job. I'm married and have three wonderful children. Our young, oldest is about six now. The youngest is about a year and a half. So they keep me busy. Wonderful. Three under six. Yes, you said it. I cannot imagine what life is like. And then you said you're a midwife to pigs, you said? Yep, I, that's correct. So now, I got, now you got to tell me. Now you got to tell me. What, what does that entail? I, I have to know. Well, uh, basically uh, going around all day long, attending sows who are giving birth, and when necessary, leaving up and assisting physically. I find that absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and maybe offline, I'm going to have a conversation with you because I have to use that in some capacity. I don't know how, but I'm going to be bothering you when we get offline. So I'm very excited All about right. that. Now, your whole writing career has always been about pushing and really towing the envelopes about really important things in life because I think you you would agree that fiction is a vehicle to really talk about interesting things that I'll have preached to you, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Fiction, I think, in fact, it's the most powerful medium out there in a lot of ways for communicating ideas and truths and even, I would say, morality. There's a quote, actually, I think, from back early 19th century. I think it was 
Percy Shelley who said it, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Like what we believe about so many things, whether it be faith or things going around in the world around us, we don't come to them by reason most of the time. We come to them as a result of how our imaginations and our perceptions have been shaped by the images around us and like the stories we hear, the stories we see. Like I could, there are any number of examples, but I think most of us could say that we can make a reasonable case for the things we believe, but what reinforces them are the thing images we have in our imagination about those things. And so that's an approach I've taken in the stories I write. I don't try to get on a soapbox as I'm writing. And a lot of times, more and more, I'm trying to make things character focused and let the story lead me to where it wants to go. But at the same time, like interweaving those images of truth, I suppose you would say. Imagination is extremely powerful. Yeah. And recently I shared a post in a Facebook group about Twilight. And anyone who's followed the show for half a day would know how much I hate Twilight. <laughs> but in the post I shared, they were going to use an animatronic baby for this baby that was in Twilight. I don't know what it was. I only read the first book. I could care less about it. But I was looking at the toy, and I am terrified of doll movies. Doll movies scare scare me. They, they are the only horror movies I don't watch because dolls scare me, okay? And when they showed this doll, I was screaming like, oh, my gosh, I'm creeped out, and I could feel goosebumps going up and down my arms because this doll creeped me out. But it was an image. I can't begin to tell you why I'm terrified of doll movies, but I just am, right? And I think it's because when I was a little kid, my granny watched a lot of horror. And, yeah, you probably shouldn't have a five-year-old watching horror, but she never had that type of boundary. And I think doll movies just scarred me, right? But the image of the, the image is there. Even though I know it's an animatronic doll, even though I know it's not real, it was that doll effect that freaked me out. And I say all that because it shows just how powerful the imagination is. And when we surround ourselves with certain imagery, that's going to reflect truth in a, in a way. Now, sometimes the image may be blurred. It may not be completely coherent. Sometimes what scares us the most is what we can't see. It's the fear of the unknown, the unanswered questions, the partial understanding of things. And some of that is explored in your book, The Tombs of Elysium, which I'm going to tell our listeners how they can get a copy of this for free later on in the broadcast. But... This story reads like an episode of Star Trek. And again, if you've been following the show for a minute, you kind of know I'm really a fanatical Star Trek. <laughs> uh, I love Star Trek. And as soon as I started to read it, I said, this is Star Trek. I am in my wheelhouse. But for this book, The Tunes of Elysium, interwoven throughout the narrative, there are certain truths that are being expounded on through, our, through the interaction of our characters. And so we're going to go ahead and talk about the Tunes of Elysium by A.K. Preston. If you were to give a quick synopsis of what this book is about, go ahead and tell our listeners what it is. Certainly. Well, the Tunes of Elysium is a science fiction horror thriller. The plot involves the crew of the ERS Arnon, a starship from the Iridani Republic, who's been on the trail of a pirate ship. But when they find this ship, 
It's completely abandoned. The crew is nowhere to be seen. And it's floating in a graveyard of a bunch of other ships around a moon in an uninhabited star system. That is a star system that appears to be uninhabited until they find the remains of an alien ghost city on the surface of the moon, which this city, there's no sign of life except for strange monuments and statues and buildings, but something is going on, and things become more serious when members of the expedition team start disappearing one by one. And when people start to disappear, the first thing you want to do is get out. I always feel like this is always the linchpin of horror films, is that if something weird is going on, leave. Don't just stay there. But then one of the characters, which is Captain Barack, he says, we can't leave. We have a moral code here because one of our guys are gone. We have to search and find him. But the other guy, which would be me, is like, dude, he is gone. Let's just go ask questions later. <laughs> that was that dude's uh, stance on it. But I understand what Captain Barack was saying is that you want to make sure that you do what you can to save the people who are left behind if indeed they are left behind. And so this ship lands, or rather orbits this moon. And like you said, there's a graveyard of ships. So all these ships are empty. And at first when they see the ships, they see a ship of an enemy, which is a Centauri. And that kind of propels this mystery along because had they not seen the ship, they probably would have just left. When they saw the ship, they said, wait a minute, we gotta, we gotta check this out. And so how much of this, and I would love to get your thoughts about it, is influenced by sci-fi when it comes to space exploration. Oh, well, what I did here, I kind of, I took image sort of, I would say it's very much influenced by Star Trek, but also what I was going for as I wrote it was to give an atmosphere you'd find in an older show like Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone, especially just kind of an alien type of feel, like, but at the same time, a far future setting. Like, I was deliberately did, like, minimalistic world building in this. Like, most of it is in the form of dropping hints that kind of point to a larger setting that is all off screen with just the essentials given to the reader in this particular story to kind of give a sense of mystery, a little bit of wonder, and, like, kind of... I can't begin to compare myself to a writer like Ray Bradbury, for example, but the approach I took in writing it was kind of similar, I feel like, to what he did in his book anthology, The Martian Chronicles. Like, basically what he's doing, he actually said when someone interviewed him about it many years ago that only one or two of those stories actually obey the known laws of physics. Like, what he was doing in writing them was to create more of a mythic type of feel than necessarily a hard science type of feel. So what I tried to do was kind of incorporate a bunch of imagery and elements that you find across Star Trek and Star Wars and a lot of similar series in that vein, because they've been part of our culture for so long that readers can look at a story that has those elements and they have an instinctive response to them, if that makes sense. It goes back to your point about imagery and how it reflects what we understand about reality. 
And when you read a book like this, you're instantly reminded of an older show, like you said, sci-fi. You're reminded of those older tales of science fiction. And I love science fiction from the late 1800s to the 1930s and 40s and 50s because physics didn't matter. It was all about the adventure. And, you know, John Carter landed on Mars. We don't know how he got there. He just blinked and, oh, I'm on Mars. You know what I'm saying? So ask questions later, you know. And so I have, and I like that, I like that kind of idea because nowadays sci-fi, sci-fi tends to be more practical. It seems to be more about just staying close to the facts where the old sci-fi writers, and it could be because they didn't have an understanding of things like we do now, but it was about the adventure of exploration, the adventure of increasing our footprint onto the universe, the pioneer spirit that keeps people going, that keeps us searching for new vistas and new understandings of our reality. And here in this book, you can see taste of that in this book because they're on this world, which is, again, that gives you that very Lovecraftian type of atmosphere with the unknown all surrounded. And even the story, The Tombs of Elysium, which is available on Amazon.com, you don't quite know what exactly is going on. There's still that air of mystery. And one of the airs of mystery is that when they go to this alien ghost town, there's this really unique script on different parts of the city that you see. And the people are like, well, what is it? And, I, and then he was like, it's kind of like Arabic script. It's kind of like Egyptian hieroglyphics. And no one knows what it is. But thankfully, from the other people who have come to this city, they were able to start translating it. And then there's a scene where he goes, well, what does this mean? It says, I think it said, dream, last, death, first, something like that. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And so it's that constant sense of I'm trying to understand what this story is about. And instead of finding out more, I end up having more questions. And so in this story, they land on this city, and one of the guys starts to disappear. And he disappears, just the guys, they were there talking to each other. Some kind of interference happened. And then he turns, and he's like, he's gone. And so it adds to that mystery of what is going on. Now, let's talk about some of our characters in this story, because some of these characters are almost archetypes of people that we know in real life. So let's talk about Barack for a second. If we met him in real life, what type of character would he be for those of us who first meet him? Well, the archetype I was going for with him was a, I was thinking of the sci-fi architect of a starship captain or someone who's in a command position and feels the responsibility of that command is driven by a strong sense of duty to the men under his command and, and a specific code of honor. Yeah, I guess in terms of who I would compare him to, I'm, well, I guess, I don't know. I kind of think on the one hand, I think of Kirk. On the other hand, I think of Picard. But at the same, at the same time, he's different from either of them, like in terms even, I would say, of his, without giving too much away, I'd say even of his belief system, which plays, I think, a spar which I view as deeper than the kind of belief systems you would see in like, say a show like Star Trek or, or things like that in terms of what drives the characters. So yeah, I kind of, in writing him, I saw him as 
in a sense, ultimately he becomes, in a very significant way, the moral core of the story. Yeah, I agree, because he seems like he's holding to a moral compass, a moral standard here, whereas the other character, Dr. Tall, he doesn't hold to that moral standard as much. He's more so about expanding his knowledge, which is good, because through his stubbornness, you begin to learn more about what's going on in this ghost city. But at the same time, he does have that sort of archetype of that scientific arrogance that can sometimes be pervasive in science fiction. It's just some big names that come to mind. For those of you who watched the show with Stargate Atlantis, when it came to Rodney McKay. And Rodney McKay was arrogant. He was crass. Not crass. He was just really arrogant. He was really smart. And you hated to love him, and you loved to hate him, because he just had that kind of character. Another character that comes to mind, I just, um, I didn't like it, though, was Stargate Universe when they, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was kind of arrogant, too. So you got that sort of arrogance that intelligence brings about. And then you have a really interesting character that I can't help but parallel a biblical person in the Bible. Let's talk about him because he really is unique in this cast of characters that you have in the book, The Tooth of Elysium. Okay. Well, he actually was a bit of a late addition to the story as I was rewriting it. And I put him in there almost as an afterthought. And I kind of, I took a bit of a risk with that character because what I basically did was I took someone who's a man of action, a Marine, a soldier, someone who's engaged in combat. But at the same time, I gave him a love for poetry. And uh, you'll actually, shortly after we meet him, he's actually on his off hours reading through his copy of Milton's Paradise Lost and even using it as a model for writing his own type of verse. So I kind of, I was thinking kind of in terms of an archetype, I was thinking of someone who at least aspires to be what in older times would have been called a warrior poet, which actually were more common than we tend to think in modern times. So yeah, so that was kind of an experiment on my part when I came up with him. But but yeah, his perspective kind of I used it sort of as a foil to the perspective of like Dr. Tall and his team. Like on the one hand, you have those you have people who have a purely utilitarian view of knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge, where on on the other hand, represented through a character like Romano, you have someone who's shaped his outlook on the world by basically like exposing himself to great works of literature, of poetry, and even like the larger existential questions they raise, which he actually at one point asks one of the scientist characters, okay, we're it's good to pursue knowledge, but why are we doing it? What's our ultimate goal? Will we be happier once we get there? And those are the type of questions that I don't think pure knowledge can ever answer. And it lets us know that there's more to studying than just acquiring knowledge. What do you do with the knowledge that you acquire? You know, if that's the case, we could just all be computers and we can get a ton of knowledge, but what it does to our, our life and things of that nature, which is why I think there's such a need for art, because art is so important to be able to express the deeper expressions of the soul. That's my thought process anyway. 
And so I've been telling our listeners that you can get the Tombs Elysium for free. So go ahead and tell them how they can get it for free. All right. Well, if you go to my Facebook page, it's AK Preston. I have a link pinned at the top that has a link directly to my mailing list. It's also available um, at akpreston.com. Uh, if you just go to the sign up tab, there will be a link where you can where you can just enter your email address, and there will be a download available from BookFunnel in either Mobi, EPUB, EPUB, or PDF formats. So you can get a copy of the Tombs of Elysium for free by signing up at akpreston.com or going to his Facebook page, AK Preston, and clicking on the link on his Facebook page and downloading the book after you sign up for his newsletter. I like the fact that you're offering for those subscribers because now they can get a taste of your writing, which is excellent, by the way. They can get a taste of your writing, and they haven't risked anything. You know, they haven't put any bucks into it, things of that nature. And that's why I think some authors really have embraced offering some of their work for free. Just so you can get a taste of, okay, this person has a really good writing style that I like. They can tell a really good story. Now I'm going to invest more into their career. And I always say, make sure you leave a review. If this was online, I would say, make sure you leave a review. But let him know if you enjoyed the story. I know I love and I enjoyed the story. So, yeah. So there's so much to the tombs of Elysium that I think you're going to enjoy. But particularly the twist at the end really shocked me because it is not a Star Trek way of handling a situation. But I like that twist because it lets us know that there are some things greater to the moral honesty of our existence and just letting bygones be bygones. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say because I want you to go ahead and pick up your copy of the Tombs of Elysium available at akpreston.com or by going to his Facebook page. AK, it has been wonderful talking to you today, having a good time with you. We already know we can keep in contact with you by going to your website, akpreston.com. What are some final things you want to share with our listeners today? Well, I guess I would say I'm very uh, honored and humbled to hear how much this story has been liked. And I hope uh, you have a good time reading it and also that it can leave you with some deeper food for thought that you can remember even after closing the pages. AK, this show is always about helping authors God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So in the few moments that we have left today, go ahead and encourage our aspiring authors out there today. All right, definitely. Well, I guess the first piece of advice I would give you is keep at it, even if you can only do the minimal amount of work. Just keep on going. There are different seasons of life. You may not have all the time you want right now, but it's always possible to make just a little bit of time to keep you moving on that journey. AK, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Definitely enjoyed having you, and I cannot wait to have you back. Have you back real soon. All right. Well, thanks a lot for having me on here. And we were talking today to AK Preston. He is the author of the free book, The Tombs of Elysium, available by signing up for his newsletter at akpreston.com or at his Facebook page, AK Preston. I really enjoyed The Tombs of Elysium, and it's a really good book if you've never heard of AK Preston or you want a sample of his writing. It's very short, 
is also very immersive, lots of texture to it, and I know you're going to enjoy the story. So make sure you go ahead, sign up for his newsletter at akpreston.com or at his Facebook page, AK Preston, and you can find out what the tombs of Elysium are all about. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>